All right, tonight we are continuing our study of Esther uh, as we enter Esther chapter 6. And um, we're going to see that Esther 6 is what is going to be called the time between the banquets. So um, if you haven't been here in a while or that title doesn't make sense to you based off of the location of 6 in the storyline of Esther, we're going to go over kind of some things that happened before Esther 6 to hopefully catch you up if you haven't been with us in a while. But before we get there, uh, before we get into Esther 6, I want to show you a meme, uh, a picture that is uh, very popular. Um, and uh, here, I'll just show it to you and then ask some questions about it. So who in here are Star Wars fans? Who knows this scene? Yeah. Does anybody want to tell the rest of the group what's going on here? Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it or may be interested in Star Wars, whatever. So what what's going on here? What's happening? Anybody? So it's a fight scene. So, okay, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are fighting each other. And towards the end of the fight, Darth Vader, who's pictured here, reveals one of the most uh, notable plot twists uh, in the, the movie series Star Wars, and, and actually, I think one of the more popular plot twists in Hollywood that's quoted all the time. Um, and the plot twist is that Darth Vader, he's fighting against Luke, he's actually Luke's father, which is crushing for Luke, as you can understand. The person that he has tried to kill and destroy up until this point, unknown to him, is his very own father. And this is what makes this scene such a memorable plot twist. Just like how in that moment there was a plot twist in, in the Star Wars uh, plot line, in our passage tonight we're going to see a pretty big plot twist in Esther. So uh, there's things that are going to happen that completely change how the story was going. Now in order to fully understand the change that's going to happen in our passage, let's recap quickly. Um, what has happened in the last few chapters leading up to this point in Esther 6. So this is where you're filling the blanks are going to start. So we might want to pay attention. All right, first thing that we need to know before the twist, we see that Esther comes becomes queen of Persia. And uh, at the end of Esther 2, we see Mordecai saves the king's life. That's your first blank. And then the second thing we see after that is that even though Mordecai saves the king's life, we see Haman Another person in our story, he gets promoted to second in command. And while in second in command, he plans to kill the Jews in Persia. We see this in Esther 3. Now, Esther, being Jewish, Mordecai being Jewish, have to think about you know what how, how to go about this, how to go about telling the king um, about this plan um, that he doesn't really know that it Haman plans to kill Mordecai and his own queen. He just knows that Haman's is going to get rid of some random people group in, in Persia. And so in order to find in order to tell the king, Esther hosts a banquet for the king and Haman. And then invites them to a second banquet the next night. So we see the first banquet in Esther 5. Esther 7 is going to be the second banquet. So therefore, chapter 6 is the time between the two banquets. And the night before the second banquet, at the end of five, we see that Haman has gallows built to hang Mordecai or to impale his already dead body. Uh, and he plans to do that um, the following morning. So all of this 
happens before Esther 6, which is our passage tonight, and where we will see the storyline of Esther change very dramatically. So let's start reading Esther 6. Open up your scripture notebooks. Now, as always, underline or circle anything that stands out to you or that you have questions about, and you will go over those things in your small groups after a large group is done. So, chapter 6. Have your pens ready. Starting in verse 1. That night, sleep escaped the king. So he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. They found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Bikthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the entrance when they planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king inquired, what honor and special recognition has have been given to Mordecai for this act? The king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. The king asked, who is in the court? Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. The king's attendants answered him, Haman is there, standing in the court. Have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered, and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is it the king would want to honor more than me? Pause. We're going to stop there. And hopefully you see that there's already some tension being built here in chapter 6. So let's see what's going on. Let's summarize what's going on, dig a little deeper, and then continue reading to fully understand this plot twist in Esther 6. So first, we see that the king has trouble sleeping. Now this, in an attempt maybe to lull the king back to sleep, he orders for the book of daily recordings of events to be read to him. Basically, someone come beside me, read the journal of everything that's been happening in hopes I might fall back asleep. Instead of falling back asleep, the king seems to be more awakened by the fact that he hasn't honored Mordecai for saving his life. So this is happening. Haman is in the palace when the king finds out that Mordecai hasn't been honored. We see that's the second thing that we see so far in this section of chapter. And the time that the king invites Haman to come in uh, from the court is probably around early morning rather than like middle of the night, even though it says escape, the sleep escaped the king. Uh, I think it's better understood that they're having this conversation early morning. If you go back to five, chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, it talks about how Haman's family suggested, encouraged that he go to the king in the morning to ask to hang Mordecai. So this conversation between Haman and the king is probably happening early morning, first thing in the morning. And the king asks a question to Haman, and Haman thinks of himself when the king asks for advice on how to honor someone. And this is, you know, on par or normal for Haman, as he has only been concerned about his public image, how he is viewed by the king, family, and friends. So hopefully you see this tension being built. Here you have Haman, who has built gallows the night before to hang Mordecai. He approaches the king to ask to hang Mordecai. And when asked about to honor someone, he thinks of himself first, and so we have Haman on one side, and then you also have the king on the other side, who found out that Mordecai wasn't recognized for saving his life, and now he wants to honor Mordecai. 
And these two are very different mindsets in the morning that the conversation is taking place. And all of this is taking place between the two banquets that Esther is hosting. Is this a coincidence? I think not. If you've been here at any time with us this spring semester while studying Esther, you should know that there's no such thing as just a coincidence, that there's no such thing as chance or luck, but rather God is sovereign over the situation. He is in control. Nothing happens by accident. And I just want to look over the first six verses with me again, and I want you to underline some things. Verse 1, underline the night, sleep, that night, sleep escaped the king. Underline that. In verse 2, underline, they found the written report. Verse 3, underline uh, that nothing had been done for Mordecai. That's verse 3. That's verse 3. Yep, nothing had been done for him. And then verse 5, underline at the end of verse 5, Haman is there. That's more middle verse 5. Underline, Haman is there. All those events that you just underlined, these are actions that have happened, events that have occurred. All and all those things, God is in control of the situation. God causes or allows all things to happen in all situations. And he uses everything for his glory to make himself known to humanity. That's true here in Esther. It's also true in every situation in your life and my life today. It's not by accident that the king couldn't sleep. It's not by accident that they just found the report of that day, of that situation, that Mordecai wasn't honored. It wasn't a coincidence that nothing had been done for Mordecai at that time. And it's not a coincidence that in that morning, Haman was standing there when the king wanted to honor Mordecai. Nothing happens by accident. Everything happens for a reason. So let's keep reading and see what happens next. Let's see how Haman is going to respond to the king's question while he's thinking about himself. Verse 7 says this, Haman told the king, For the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn, and a horse that the king himself has ridden, which has a royal crown on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor, parade him on the horse through the city square, and call out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Verse 10, the king told Haman, hurry and do just as you proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you have suggested. So Haman took the garment and the horse He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, calling out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the city, to the king's gate, but Haman hurried off for home, mournful and with his head covered. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish, and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him, because your downfall is certain. And while they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. All right, so let's recap. 
What's going on here? First, we see Haman wants to be honored like a king. That's your next fill in the blank. Haman really wants to be honored like a king because in his mind, he's thinking, I'm the one being honored. I'm really prideful. I really like public attention. How do I want to be honored? And in his mind, he is the one the king wants to honor, and Haman desires people to think highly of him. He has pride. He has a lot of pride, a lot of sin in his heart. His pride is so much so that Haman wants to be seen as a sort of king to the people. I mean, we're going to underline all the things that we see uh, that are a possession of the king, starting in verse uh, 8. Have them bring a royal garment that the king himself, so underline royal garment, that the king himself has worn. And a horse, underline the horse, the king has ridden himself with the royal crown on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of the one of the kings, underline king's most noble officials. You see here that uh, Haman, what's going through his mind is that he wants to be so honored that he might appear to be a sort of king himself. That is Haman's ego in this moment. And up until this point, it appears that if you've been with us during the study before this, that Haman pretty much has gone his way every single time until now. Because, point number two, instead of Haman being honored, it's Mordecai. Mordecai is honored instead of Haman. And here's the first of multiple plot twists. This is the first time where we see Haman being humbled because of Mordecai. Because Mordecai is now seen in this picture as more honored than Haman. As Haman is the one to parade Mordecai around the city square saying, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Instead of someone else saying about that about Haman, guess what? Haman is saying that about Mordecai. And it's because of this that we see in number three that Haman's family predicts Haman's downfall. And this is comical because if you remember in chapter five, if you were here a couple weeks ago, it was Haman's family in chapter five that came up with the idea to hang Mordecai. So if you go back chapter five and, and read it later um, tonight, you see that it's their idea to build the gallows to get rid of Mordecai. And now you see Haman's family predicting Haman's downfall. Underline verse 13 real quick. I think this is a crucial verse where it says, since Mordecai is Jewish. It's as if Haman's family knows the reputation of the Jewish people. That God looks out for and protects his chosen ones, the Jews. As Haman's family is still speaking with him, we then see number four, in a summary of the second part, that as they're still speaking with him, Haman is then rushed off to Esther's second banquet. And we're going to read about that second banquet um, next Sunday. But as we see here, it's just the start of things that seem to unravel as Haman's downfall progresses. Underline verse 14 where it says, The king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman. I think that's an important phrase to underline. Because before this chapter in Esther, Haman seems to be in control of his life. He seems to be in control 
of his actions and how people react to him and what people do for him, he seems to think that he has all the power, um, even almost equal power to the king at some points in the story. But now, in this chapter, we see his life raveling out of control. It seems chaotic. His life is rushed. It's not slow. He's not in control, but rushed. And he's getting pulled this way and getting pulled that way and getting told to do this and getting told to do that. So what can we see from this chapter? What is a biblical truth that we can find in Esther 6? I think one thing that we can see from Esther 6 is this, that we can see God's sovereignty. We can see that God has a reason for either allowing or causing something to happen. Biblical truth that we see in Esther 6 is God has a reason for either allowing or causing something to happen. So let's apply this truth that we see in Esther 6 to our lives. And I, I, I think um, we're going to get to a couple questions at the end for self-reflection. But I, I think we can apply it in, to our lives in a couple ways. You know, if something good happens in life, like let's say you get an A on a test. Who in here likes to get A's on tests? Everyone wants to get an A, right? Everyone enjoys getting an A. I've never heard of someone who like, do you want an A or a B? I'll take the B. And I was like, no, I enjoy getting the A. You know, I want my grade higher. I've never heard, do you want an A or an F? And someone's like, nah, I don't know if I enjoy A's today. I'll take the F. No, you enjoy getting A's. You enjoy doing good in school. When something good happens in life, maybe it's when you do really good on the sports field. Who in here is currently in a sport or practicing or about to start a sport? Because, like, baseball is basically starting, okay? Yep, if you're currently in a sport, yeah, I still play basketball sometimes with a group of guys weekly. You know, when, when you do really good, it feels really good when you have a really good performance, um, whether you hit really well in baseball or you make an incredible fielding, um, catch or stop, or maybe you're in track and field, because I know that's also starting to happen, whether you do really good in your event, maybe you have projects that you do, and you know it just so happens that you get a really good re uh, response on your project, or maybe you work and you're getting all this encouragement from your coworkers and your boss, and you're doing really good, you've had a really good day at work, maybe you've made a lot of money if you're a waitress or a waiter and you're getting tips. When things that are good happen in life, we need to give God the glory instead of taking the credit. Because it can be really easy to be like, yeah, I did study really hard to get that A. Or, you know, I did put in the practice and that paid off to get this hit or to perform this way and attract me to, to win this race. Or, you know, I really put in the hard work to, to get those extra tips at a, as a waitress or a waiter. Or uh, whatever it is, you can almost automatically take credit for the result. But what we see here is that God, God's in control, and God has a reason for either allowing or causing something to happen. So when something good happens in life, we need to give God the glory instead of taking the credit for ourselves. Then, then the same is true on the flip side. If something bad happens in life, instead of getting stressed or frustrated, we should be able to rest knowing that God is in control and that he has a plan. Now, here's the next slide. Here's two pictures I want, or 
two questions that I want to ask you tonight. What is an area of your life that you take credit for something, for something good instead of giving glory to God? What is an area of your life where you really struggle with taking the credit instead of, you know, you know praise God. Like, he allowed me to do this. Where, where's an area of your life? Are you more prone to be like, yeah, I deserved that grade, or yeah, I... I'm the one who's so good at this sport, or I'm the one that's so good uh, or so popular. Like I'm the one that uh, I'm the one that causes this to happen. Or you know, do you give God the glory? So what's an area of life where you struggle to take credit, where you you are prone to take credit instead of giving glory to God? And then question number two: What's an area of your life that frustrates you, or that stresses, or that you stress about instead of resting in God's sovereignty? Whether that could be an annoying sibling at home that really frustrates you. Maybe it's that person in school that you really don't like, and they seem to keep crossing paths with you. It could be maybe you didn't do well on that test. Maybe it could be you're stressed out about your job or how you perform as an athlete. Maybe you're not doing so well. Maybe you're in a slump, and you're stressing about that. If something ha- bad happens in life, instead of getting stressed out or frustrated, we can rest in God knowing that he is in control and has a plan for either allowing or causing something to happen. We see this in Esther, guys. This is really cool where we see this in Esther. Mordecai did not get recognition for saving the king's life when it happened. But not getting that recognition at that moment in time served a purpose in getting honored and how we saw in Esther 6, five years later. Five years had gone past between him saving the king's life, not getting honor, to then now getting recognition and honor in this, po- in this point of the story in Esther 6, where we see this plot twist and Haman's downfall start. Five years in between. What was once a possible frustration turned into something that God used later for his glory, for his purposes. And later we're going to see later in the story that God's going to continue to use Mordecai for his purpose in helping the Jewish people. So what's an area of your life that you are prone to take credit for something good instead of giving glory to God? You see that in Haman, he was prone to being prideful, taking credit where it wasn't his. And what's an area of life where you're frustrated or that you stress about instead of resting and the sovereignty of God. Think about those, ponder those as you go into small groups, as you go throughout your week this week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for Esther 6 and just the beautiful uh, truths that we can see that, God, you are sovereign and working in a bunch of different ways in this story. And God, I pray that we would see how you're working in our lives today in a bunch of different ways that we don't even know. God, would you, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how you are working, how you are active, how you are at work, how you love us, and how you're using anything that happens, good or bad, for your purposes to glorify you more so that people may know your love for humanity. So God, help us to rest in you tonight. Rest in you and giving you glory when things go right. Resting in you and when things go wrong and we experience stress or anxiety. Help us to rest in you knowing that you are the source of peace and joy in our lives uh, through Christ. God, we love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.